0: Welcome back to Views from the Hill, Episode 5, coming to you after a disappointing 38-31 Arkansas Rays-Bat loss to the BYU Cougars on Saturday night. And honestly, I don't even know where to start. There are so many things that were frustrating about that game, and I know it's still pretty fresh on my mind, but this is the lowest I've been on the Hogs. Sense around Chad Morris. And I know that might be a little outlandish. And I'm not saying in any way at all that Sam Pittman, the team he has now or the situation we have going on now, is similar to any situation under Chad Morris. Not saying that at all. But what's really frustrating is that I'm sick and freaking tired of losing close football games. It's ridiculous. This team can't ever find a way to get it done. When their backs are against the wall, or they face a little bit of adversity, things aren't going their way, the ball doesn't seem to bounce our way. You know, the seems like we don't get any calls from the refs, but at the end of the day, it's just on us. Yeah, the Liberty Bowl was a close victory. Cincinnati was a close victory, I guess. We won by seven points, but we were up by 14, and they scored late. The last close game we legitimately won, you have to go all the way back to 2021 against LSU at LSU, where we won 13-10. to 10. And overtime. And before that, we won a close game against Mississippi State um, by two or, le- or three or less points. I believe they shanked the field goal at the end of the game. Then you go to the A and M game that year. We win by I think ten points, but it was close the entire second half. Twenty twenty one, we found ways to win close games. We haven't been able to do that in the last year and a half and counting. And what's most frustrating about all of this is that the SEC West is wide open this year. There is no clear front-runner in the SEC West. Hell, Georgia even looks down this year. They do. South Carolina was up 14-3 on them at half. I know Georgia came back and won, but they were playing in Athens. I mean, that's the most frustrating part about all of this, honestly, is that it's the period of time where Arkansas seems to have gathered a a solid group of talent on offense and defense at the skill positions. And on defense, our front seven is probably the best it's been in a long time and arguably under Pittman. But we don't have an offensive line that can protect anyone at all. And that's the most frustrating part when you have a guy like Sam Pittman who prides himself, or, yeah, prides himself on offensive line play, offensive line production. And then you have a coach as highly regarded as Cody Kennedy was – at certain points in his tenure. Georgia tried to come get him last year. That's why he got a pay raise of $325,000, and he almost makes a million dollars as a position coach. He makes $700,000. I know it's pretty shocking to some because if you look at our offensive line play over the course of the first three weeks of the season, you would think, how the hell does that work? And you're not wrong. I know in last week's episode, I mapped out how losing to BYU if, if our defense didn't play the best, which they played okay. They didn't play as solid as they had the two weeks before, but they didn't play bad. But if our defense wasn't able to churn out numerous stops and our offense played bad, BYU would walk in here and beat us, and that's exactly what happened. And that's the start to the possible worst-case scenario of the season, which is you know we're starting a four-game gauntlet of an away schedule. With at LSU, Dallas, or m in Dallas at 11 a.m., at Ole Miss, at Bama. Then you come home to, I don't know who we play at home. I'm not even thinking that far ahead. But now that we lost this past Saturday, this shit could get real ugly real quick if we drop four in a row. And this is the first time I can firmly say since about, since the Chad Morris era, that our head coach, he his seat's hot. It's not fully burning yet, but his seat is hot. You can't expect to have seasons with wins of upwards of eight, nine, ten games, and you lose home games to BYU and Liberty. You can't expect to have good records and drop games like that. You have to close out every non-conference game at your place. Every non-conference game – at an away venue, and then win the conference games at home and on the road that you're supposed to win. Then the big games are toss-ups. That is what's supposed to happen if you want to obtain consistent winning records of eight to ten games every single season. It's what Georgia does. It's what Bama's done for a long time. It's what USC's starting to do. Hell, it's what Cincinnati had to do for basically two and a half years. I know it's a random case, but, you know, LSU's done it for a long time. OU's done it, Ohio State does it, Michigan does it. I'm just naming off blue blood pro- programs, and you might be like, oh, why are you comparing us to blue blood programs? Because I truly think we can be there one day. I'm not saying now, but I really do. At one point, er, at points in Arkansas's history, we have been there. Ten years ago, we were the second best team in the country. Two years ago in 2021, we were the eighth best team in the country at one point. Last year, we were the 10th best team. Were we the 10th best team last year? Probably not. That doesn't matter. We're not that far off. You know, Chad Morris had us in the absolute depths of hell with what he did this university and this football program. Sam Pittman has brought us out of the depths of hell, like in the freaking Dark Knight Rises when, when Christian Bale is down in that hole after Bain broke his back, climbs out of hell eventually. That's what Sam Pittman brought us out of. He really did. And to go, yeah, I know twenty twenty was three and seven, but we lost a bunch of one score games. And You see, the expectations next year at nine and four. Last year was a down year at seven and six. This year, the expectations were high again, but it seems like nothing's going to happen. It, it seems like we we are on track for a six and six, or maybe a missed bowl, missed bowl game season, or six and six or seven and five. That's what this trajectory looks like right now. As frustrating as that is, and Arkansas is better than that, and everyone knows it. Our facilities say otherwise, or our facilities say that we're better. Our athletes say that we're better. Our freaking money that we can throw at people says that we're better than that. All of our facilities, the fan base, everything. You have all you could ask for here. And I love Sam Pittman, and he's helped right the ship that Chad Morris had once sunk. But I don't think he's the guy to take us over the hump, unfortunately. I think everyone is kind of on that same wavelength now. But that sucks because everyone loves Pittman. He's done a great job of surrounding himself with coordinators. But right now, this is his moment. This is his time to prove to everyone, probably including himself and the team, that this season isn't over, that he is the coach for Arkansas. And I honestly don't think Sam Pittman, even if we were playing well this year and next year, I don't think he's got more than two years left in him. He's old. He's been around this game a long time. And I don't think we'll, in quotes, fire him if things go south. I think he's going to retire. I think that, if anything, he's ready to retire within two years. He's an old guy. He's ready to hang it up. He's been coaching a long, long time. A very long time. Another thing I'm frustrated with is that it seems like there's this trend of every time we play Big 12 teams in home-and-homes, We'll go beat them at their place and then turn around and lose at our place. Start with BYU. Then you go Texas Tech when Patrick Mahomes came here and beat us. You got TCU back in 2018 after we went to their place and beat them in overtime, numerous overtimes. Frustrating as hell. And from here on out, our schedule isn't going to get any easier this year, next year, and just Keep counting. We're in the SEC West now with Texas and Oklahoma. We have big-name teams like Notre Dame scheduled in the future. We're starting our season next year against Oklahoma State. This shit isn't going to get any easier. So we got to figure some things out now or else we're going to be in a long, long – we're going to be in a bunch of years of misery. That's what. That's what's lying ahead of us if we don't figure shit out. And if this season doesn't go well, then – We're probably looking at a new coach next year, and Hunter has got to knock it out of the park. He does, because the main revenue driver at a southeastern school, especially in the West, is football, and winning helps all of that. Every athletic team at the university benefits from a winning football team, especially in the SEC. Look at Georgia. All the facilities are nice across the basketball, baseball, softball. All the facilities are nice because football is good. Same with Alabama. Honestly, Arkansas has very nice facilities for a team that hasn't played up to the standards of Georgia and Alabama in in football. LSU has amazing facilities. Florida's got nice facilities. Texas has nice facilities. But the main cause of all of that is their football teams drive big numbers in terms of revenue because they know how to win games. So I don't care who you play. 14 penalties will squash your chance of winning any game. We had eight penalties on the offensive line and freaking five of them on the last drive. No matter how bad anyone thinks we played Saturday, we still had a chance to win the football game. They missed a field goal, and we got the ball, I believe, went in solid field position at like the 33-yard line or our own 33-yard line. We get down the field in like three or four plays, and then it's just penalty after penalty after penalty. Completely took us out of the game. And even then... They just still didn't have enough time to throw. And I know I've talked about on past episodes how outgaining someone doesn't mean a damn thing, but it's still so frustrating when it happens. We outgained BYU 424 yards to 281, and somehow we gave up 38 points and lost. That is so frustrating. Far too many times we're on the wrong side of momentum plays. You know, yes, Cam has got an amazing leg, and, yeah, he almost, you know, he hit the top of an upright on a 50-yard field goal. I don't care. Make the damn thing. I don't care if it clears the crossbar. That was a big moment, momentum shift. Then you got all the fourth down failures. We are the worst fourth down team in the freaking country. And I'm so sick and tired of running shotgun on fourth and one. When the hell has that ever worked? Clearly it never does for us. So Dan Enos has got to figure the shit out. We have a 252-pound quarterback. Wind the ball. Line up under center, put Dominic Johnson right behind him. Help put, put Tyrese Washington and Varquise scums on either side of him, just have the Philadelphia Eagles do it, and sneak it a yard. You're going to get it nine times out of ten. It works so much for the Eagles that the NFL almost banned it. God, I'm so sick and tired of it. We make shit harder on ourselves. We do it all the time. I mean, even then, like, I'm not blaming the defense for – this really at all because you have a 10-yard punt from Max Bumass Fletcher, a 28-yard punt from him, and then we have a fumble inside of our own 40-yard line and an interception that they ran back to about our 20. And then the times we didn't get it on fourth and goal, or not fourth and goal, fourth and short and turn the ball over on downs. So that's at least five times they had the ball inside of our territory throughout the game. That's why the yard difference looks the way it is. We aren't efficient if we can outgain a team four hundred and twenty four yards to two hundred and eighty one and still lose the game. All I'm saying is that if we don't keep it close on Saturday or win, the season is going to get really ugly really, really fast. We got outcoached on Saturday again, and it's gotta quit happening. I'm tired of the hearing the excuse, ah, we got outcoached. Well, quit getting outcoached. Quit it figure it out. You get pay millions of dollars to do so. I know it's easier said than done to be like, oh, figure it out. But we see the same flaws week after week. Week after week dating back to last year was the same stupid ass flaws. Holding, you know, shooting ourselves in the foot after big momentum plays, not being able to close out a close game. You know, you can go down the list. But regardless, I'm sick and tired of losing close games. And if we don't get this ship turned around quickly, it's going to go south real, real fast. So college football week three, the slate of games was a lot better than most had anticipated. I feel like every time you look at a slate of college football games, you think, oh, this slate sucks. Turns out to be a lot better than what you think. And this past week didn't disappoint. Bama has got quarterback troubles all over the place. Only went to South Florida and beat them 17-3. to That's a bad, bad, bad look. They were losing the game at one point, like well into the first half. Georgia has to come from behind to beat South Carolina. And, yeah, you know what, give credit. I'll give credit to Shane Beamer and his team, but I think Georgia's a little down this year, but it doesn't matter because they're playing the freaking Cupcake East. Florida, looking as bad as they did the first two games of the season, rolls Tennessee in the swamp. Maybe Tennessee's not that good, and like we've all been saying, Joe Milton ain't that good. Who cares if he can throw the ball country mile? He can't throw a five-yard freaking out route. whoop What doo What other games happen? Oh, the Colorado-Colorado State game. I wanted Colorado State to win that game so bad. So bad. You know, talking about, oh, it's personal. I swear to God, you, you breathe on Colorado wrong. They'll take it personal. Whole team gets Rolexes and stupid-ass glasses. It's what they're about over there. But, you know, they're winning, so who cares? Deion's taking care of business. But they got their work cut out for them this week at Oregon and USC at home. That's going to be tough. Colorado State haven't won a game all year. It took you a double overtime and hung 30-plus on you. Oh, boy. Get ready for it. And then Deion Sanders is going to come out today and be like, oh, our team forgives their safety for hitting Travis Hunter hard, and it might have been a little bit late after the play. Yeah, it was a dirty hit, but who the hell cares if the team forgives you? I guarantee that safety doesn't give two rips about what that team thinks. He just cared about winning the game. Yeah, he might he might have made a dirty play and hit – Travis Hunter late, but get over it. it's football. All right, so week four college matchups or college football matchups in week four is so a loaded slate. Friday night Wisconsin at Purdue, then Saturday we got to stay at Clemson, which for that like most of the time would have been a ranked matchup, but Clemson's not ranked. Auburn at Texas A and M that'll be a good test or good for Hog fans to watch and see what to expect at an A and M. Next week, we play them in Dallas. SMU at TCU. That's the Sonny Dykes rivalry game. Colorado at Oregon. I think Oregon, I think that the over under on that game is going to be 75, probably. Wouldn't surprise me at all. With it being at Oregon, I think Oregon rolls. UCLA at Utah, another ranked Pac 12 matchup. As for the Pac 12, that team has, or that conference is loaded with quarterbacks. Loaded. Normally, the Pac 12 isn't very good at football. I know they have been historically, but as of the last 10 years, not really. That conference is loaded this year. That might be the best conference of college football, as much as I hate to say it. You got Ole Miss at Bama. Kiffin's already playing mind games with Saban like he normally does. You know that that crap two years ago, gets your popcorn ready. But with it being at Bama, last year was close in Oxford. At Bama with the quarterback struggles that Bama has going on, I don't know. This is going to be clo- this. This could be another – This is Bama's biggest game of the year, without a doubt. I know Texas' game was huge, but this, I mean, this is the worst momentum Alabama's had since I can remember with Nick Saban being their coach, getting stomped at home by Texas and then having to win a weight against South Florida where they played the Notre Dame transfer quarterback, then TJ Simpson or whatever his name is, and they didn't play Milrow. Milrow might be their best option of quarterback. That's great for other teams. And I know Ole Miss doesn't have the best defense, but I'll tell you what right now. Ole Miss doesn't have the best defense, but their defensive coordinator just came from Alabama. If anyone knows how to defend the Crimson Tide better than anyone, it's going to be him. I'm going to look up his name right now just because I simply don't know it. Let's see. Ole Miss defensive coordinator. Pete Golding. That's his name. Pete Golding. Yeah, if anyone knows how to defend the Crimson Tide, it's Pete Golding, and especially Jaden Milrow goes up against him all the time in practice or did for years. Got Oklahoma State at Iowa State. This is a game of the – this is the toilet bowl of the Big 12. Oklahoma State got beat 33-7 to by South Alabama at home. Imagine if that happened to Arkansas. People would be – I mean, the stadium would go up in flames. And that might seem like oh, it's a cute joke. I mean, I'm y'all remember when we lost Toledo in Little Rock? Someone lit Brandon Allen's car on fire. That's that story flies on the radar way too much. You literally set a kid's car on freaking fire because we lost a football game. Then Iowa State goes to Ohio and loses. I remember we wanted Matt Campbell as the head coach. I did. That seat might be hot over there. Arkansas at OSU, Obviously, we will get to that in a second. Oregon State at Washington State. Once again, another high-scoring game was what that looks like it's going to be. Texas at Baylor could be a sneaky game for Texas. They had to pull away from Wyoming late, but they pulled away regardless. Ohio State at Notre Dame. That's going to be a fun game. Notre Dame might be the real deal with Sam Hartman, a quarterback. That team's rolling. Put up a lot of points. The cheapest ticket to that game right now is four, $458. Absolutely absurd. They got Memphis at Mizzou, Simeon Blair revenge tour, and Mizzou is fresh off of beating Kansas State at home off a 61-yard field goal, and it was just annoying to see because I hate Missouri. They got Mississippi State at South Carolina, which probably be a high-scoring game as well. All right, just to recap a little bit of Saturday, if I haven't already. I mean, we we all know what we saw. Just going from the top, you know, first possession of the game, A.J. Green, 55 yards to the barn, places going brazy. Isaiah Satania, or we we forced three and out, then Isaiah Satania takes a punt back 88 yards to the bar, and that's the second punt return for a touchdown in the Pittman era. And really the first one against a team of that's any good. The first one was Nathan Perotti two years ago against UAPB. I mean, Satania, that was electric. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. 16's got to get the ball more, and we all know it. Then... You know, just how quickly we jumped out to a lead, it seemed like it was twenty one fourteen, just like that. Then, you know, it was twenty-one twenty one, then we there's twenty one twenty one and a half, and then hogs go up thirty one twenty f or we go up thirty one twenty one, and you really think the hogs are gonna roll run away with it at that point. Then the miscues started to add it up. All the different miscues and and all the different holding penalties. We, there were so many times we could have put our foot on their necks, and we didn't, and we let them back up off the floor. And, God, they gave us so many chances to win the freaking football game, which is so frustrating. We all know the glaring issue. It's the offensive line. Saw something today on 24-7 where Arkansas is the most four- and five-star recruits on the offensive line out of anyone in the SEC. That is absolutely absurd. If that doesn't get your blood boiling, I don't know what does. And just the fact that, like, knowing that and knowing that we can't churn out talent and can't churn out consistent offensive production, and I know our O-line's been good the past two years but even then, we had flaws in our offensive line, and to know that we've all we've had all that talent and returners the past few years, and now we've got pure talent right now, and we can't defend anyone back there, that is so frustrating. Georgia apparently, according to Danny West, Georgia tried to hire away Cody Kennedy from Arkansas, which resulted in him getting that raise that we talked about earlier. And, yeah, the OAN has sucked, and I'm not sure how many times or on how many platforms people have got to say it for – people to believe it and stop saying it because we all realize that already. But it really doesn't change the fact that we have more four-star offensive linemen than LSU, Florida, Tennessee, Auburn, Carolina, North and South Carolina, and A&M. The only two schools that have as beat is Georgia and Bama. So not the entirety of the SEC, but pretty damn close. That is frustrating. Brady Latham, two-to-three-year starter. Can't, can't stop holding people. False starts all over the place. Another thing is, why the hell does AJ Green only have nine carries? He scored on two of them. He's our fastest. He is the clear number two running back. Do not give the ball to Dominique Johnson in space. I think you could have. I think there could have been a seventy-five-year-old man or woman that you would have given a helmet. And if you told them to tackle Dominique Johnson on that swing route, they probably could have done it. He wasn't fooling anyone with with that juke move. I don't even know what that was. He doesn't need to have the ball outside of the guards. In between the guards, guy runs hard. Give it to him. He's got good vision. But two ACL surgeries? Yeah, he's lost a step. I think think we can all agree with that. But back to A.J. Green. Is DeBinion that much better than him? I know we don't see practice. But this is what you call an in-game adjustment. If DeBinion's not getting the ball rolling – Go with the guy who took 153 yards earlier to the barn. Go with the guy who scored your second rushing touchdown of the game. Go with the guy who averaged eight-plus yards of carry. It's pretty simple. Another thing about K.J., there's a couple things. Either our wide receivers can't get open, or he's either too hesitant to let the ball go. And I know we're lucky to have K.J. Jefferson, and he's done more than enough. For this athletic program and the football team. But that was the worst game KJ has played as a starter. By far. Fumbling, you know, getting strip sacked. That interception he threw was real, real bad. He was missing throws. He was throwing the ball short to people. Just wasn't very accurate the other night and wasn't his wasn't his best night. Where there's a play where he broke through on a read option in the second half. He could have ran over the safety and he ran out of bounds. Either he's trying to save himself or he's hurt. And if he's hurt, we got to play through it. It's a game of football. If he's trying to save himself, I don't know what you're saving yourself for. You're not a first-round draft pick. I'd be surprised if you're a day-two guy. Go, might as well go patch your stats while you can. Go run someone over while you at it. You really think – that safety, the Mormon dude from BYU is going to tackle you one-on-one? I'd hope not. A positive note, Luke Haas, that dude's an animal. He was our best receiver by far the other night. He can block well. The Lord trucked a couple people. Was it getting a lot of yards after the carry, or after the catch? He was on the only bright spots of the other night. We got to keep feeding him. Kid's only a freshman, too, which is scary. Depending on how the season ends, we got to do everything we can to hold on to him because people are going to be coming after him. Now, as for Jaden Wilson, I know we talked about Isaiah Satania earlier, and apparently Isaiah Satania can't catch the ball in practice. Well, Jaden Wilson can't catch the ball in a daggum football game. He's got a mouthpiece that says GOAT on it. What are you the freaking GOAT of? The guy's bricks for hands. Tyrone Broden, I know we're trying to force feed him. That guy is, is inconsistent catching the football. He is. Time for 16 to get the ball more. As electric as he is, you gotta feed him the rock. You have to. You gotta feed that guy the rock. Get him the ball in space and let him work. We'll get back to the offense in a second. We'll jump over to the defensive side of the football. The one thing that missed us is missed tackles. On their long touchdown run, I don't know what I, I think it was Jaheem Thomas. Jaheem Thomas just ran out there and threw his arm at at the running back. Guy ran right through it went for six. Another big missed tackle was on the last drive they went down to score. We had them on third and – I think third and eight. They threw like a four-yard out route, which was a check down because we had such great coverage downfield. Snacks Johnson comes running up, who's number one for those who don't know. Tries to make a big hit on their receiver. He just shucks him off, gets the first down. All you got to do is break down. Let that receiver turn around and look at you. He's little. He's not going to run you over. So what you got to do is try to juke you. You force him back inside to all your help where you have people swarming the football or you force him to the sideline, which is your friend. Boom. Knock him out of bounds. And either they're going for it or they got to punt it back to us and they don't go down and score. I know that's only one play, but that was a big missed tackle that hurt us. And – I know we talked about this earlier, but the turnovers by the offense didn't really help our defense and the situations that they were put in. The wide receiver pass they scored on was fluky. You could tell that was a that was a trick play from the rip. I don't know why we bit on that as hard as we did, but that was equally as frustrating as all the other things that happened throughout the game. Dwight McLaughlin probably played one of his worst games as a race back, Got burned. Got absolutely head topped in the end zone. I don't know who number two is for BYU, but that was one of the nastiest catches I've ever seen. The last time a catch like that happened at Donald W. was when Jarvis Landry made it against the Razorbacks back in 2013. It's been that long since someone made a catch like that that I can remember at least. But that hurt because that was also the go-ahead touchdown. But what sucked is that we had – I think multiple third and longs on the last possession of the game that BYU went and scored on, where we gave up third and longs. We On one of them, we had a rough in the passer call, which was a load of BS. But then we let Caden Slovis, who, has, who runs like he's got heels on, run for 10 yards for first down on us. It, just things, things didn't go our way the other night. They didn't. Yeah, had the eighth-largest crowd in program history, and we couldn't get it done. But, yeah, that's it as for the quick recap of Saturday's loss to BYU. All right, so just a couple more things I kind of want to discuss before we get into the LSU preview and stuff like that. You know, after Saturday, the question is begged to be asked, can things be fixed going forward? And we all know they have to. They flat out have to because if they don't and Saturday gets ugly, then you're 2-2 and playing against a good A&M team in Dallas. Depending on how that game goes, you go 2-Oxford and 2-Bama, probably in time for Bama to figure out all the problems of quarterback. That's probably how it will go for us. But if Saturday's ugly, the line is seventeen and a half. We get beat by something like that, three plus touchdowns. This season's in the shitter. It is. Unless we have some miraculous turnaround. But there's not really a history of Arkansas doing that. And I think if you win Saturday, Saturday night in Death Valley, nobody remembers that BYU game. I wouldn't. I'd be back on that train of us winning nine games if we if we beat LSU on Saturday, and that sounds like the most outlandish thing for me to say right now just because of what I saw on Saturday and against Kent State. Another thing that we can all agree on is that K.J. Jefferson is not the same under Dan Enos as he was Kendall Browse. And can people finally – you know, all the people wanting Kendall Browse fired last year, y'all want him back now? Because I do. I really do. TCU's offense seems to be doing just fine with Kendall Browse. Dane Enos' offense, not good at all. Only generated 24 offensive points the other night. 21 the week before. Sure, we had 40-something against Western Carolina. Could have done that against school for the blind. In my opinion, I just think Enos is – I don't think it's very smart for him to try to make a guy like K.J. Jefferson, who's a dual-threat quarterback, go through a five-read progression while he's – Basically, treating KJ Jefferson like he would Brandon Allen, and sure, I, I I get you wanting KJ to develop as a quarterback, but at the end of the day, we gotta win football games. His progression will get there; it'll happen throughout the season. But KJ can look at one read, look at two. If it's not there, let the dude take off. Seriously, he need, KJ. We know KJ Jefferson for the dual threat quarterback that he is. He needs to play fast and just play without thinking. You can kind of tell back there in the pocket that he's thinking a lot more than he is playing. That's not fair to him. That's not fair to the fans, and that's not how we won football games with KJ Jefferson under center for us. In Kendall Brow's offense, KJ just played. He just balled. If the first option was there, he hit it. If the second option was there, he hit it. Maybe if the third was there, he hit it, but if not, he was taken off. There was a lot more read options under that offense, too. just seemed like Yeah, you know what? We did have some quick three and outs. We churned out a lot of yards and we scored a lot of points. The offense wasn't the reason we were losing games last year or the year before. It was our defense. I mean, Danny Enos isn't doing KJ a single favor. And him being reluctant to change his offense to adapt and make in-game adjustments is pretty worrisome going forward. I think there's a reason why people weren't going after Dan Enos as offensive coordinator, and I think he was the last resort for us. I don't know who all we looked into as OC, but I don't think Dan Enos was like – I don't think Sam Pittman was, you know, probably looking at the hot board or whatever he had, a list of candidates, and being like, wow, Dan Enos is the first guy I'm going to call. I really don't think so. If someone says that he was, I choose not to believe it because that made me hurt even worse. I And I, I also think we can all agree that Kendall Briles is just a much better offensive coordinator than Dan Eno says. Kendall Briles is going to be a head football coach if it is a, of a Power 5 school one day, and hell, he might be the next coach here. I'm not sure. As for the fourth down calls, what we talked about earlier, do what the Philadelphia Eagles do and line up at some rugby-style position. If you don't do that, at least put KJ under center. He's 252 pounds. The guy has not fallen forward ever. He's never fallen backwards with someone hitting him head on. Has not done that. And on fourth down, you just got to get one yard. Why make it harder on yourself by taking yourself five yards further away from the line to gain? And then running these slow ass developing run plays that hut, one, two, stick it in the running back's stomach and look at the DN. The DN doesn't give two rips. He's going towards the football. Line up under center and sneak the damn ball. We're overcomplicating it for ourselves by not doing that. Fourth and ones are simple. Tom Brady is one of the most unathletic quarterbacks to be as successful as he was. So unbelievably slow and not very quick at all. And all he did was just line up and sneak the ball in fourth and short. And he was very effective at it. So did Peyton Manning. So why shouldn't KJ Jefferson be able to do it? You know, at this rate, I'm surprised we won't run a tight end sneak speaking of Kendall Braw's play calls. But if we can't keep a normal pocket, which we can't seem to do, you got to get KJ outside of the pocket somehow. And we'll talk talk about this later on in the episode. But I know we talk about how KJ has dual threat ability, and this is something that makes him as effective of a quarterback as he is. But he's got to get back to those ways. We don't have as many read options or it seems like we don't run as many read options now as we used to. Granted, we do have a new offensive coordinator and stuff like that, but maybe DNs are keying on KJ more than they all the than they are the initial ball carrier. Which you know, if we get Rocket Bat this Saturday, hopefully that changes things a little bit. But KJ is a pure pocket passer. We all know that, and. The guy's ability to create something out of nothing is what makes him so special at quarterback like he did back in 2021 when we played against LSU in Death Valley. The only touchdown we scored is K.J. making something out of nothing. All the first downs we got was K.J. taking off and using his legs. Look at the games where Arkansas has played their best offensively outside of like the BYU game last year. It involves K.J. Jefferson doing something with his legs. I mean, it's pretty simple. So we all know Cody Kennedys, or whatever the hell his name is, has got to go. But K.J. Jefferson, I know we've talked about it. He's had different receivers every year that he's been a starter at quarterback. But what makes this year different than the last two years is that, yes, while he has, or while the past two years he's had a new set of receivers, so the football too, he's had the same offensive coordinator transition to this year, new offense to learn, new coach to get used to, along with – a new set of wide receivers. That could be another reason why our offense is so out of sync. And I remember the first year we had Dan Enos as, or Dan Enos as our offensive coordinator in 2015. Things were slow at first, like when we lost to Toledo, like when we messed around and lost to Texas Tech at home, we messed around and lost to a Yeah, things didn't look good. We were like one and three. But we figured things out quickly. But, the, but that team was able to move the football. That's the difference between this team, but between this Arkansas team and the team back in 2015. Team, the team in 2015 had a rock solid offensive line, maybe the best Arkansas's ever had in the history of its football program. We could run the ball on anyone, and we could move the football. We don't have that this year. We don't have a good offensive line. Seems like we can't move the ball on anyone, and we run these just stagnant short. Our pass plays are short, make no sense. Why in the hell would you throw a swing route to Dominic Johnson to try to make someone miss on third and short? I don't know. You could go in a zillion different directions about Danny Enos has got to improve as an offensive coordinator if this team wants to save the season. But now this is the question that everyone's really wanting to know the answer to. Is Sam Pittman on the hot seat? Initial answer is yes. This was kind of the make it or break it year for Sam, and losing that game doesn't help your case. But I – but what I will not stand for is anyone spouting shit like Saturday's performance gives them Shab Morris vibes. That is just stupid as hell if you actually think that. I don't care if it's trolling or not, but to say Sam Pittman's in the same ballpark as Clown Morris is disrespect in and of itself. Pittman, like we talked about earlier, Pittman revived our football program and brought it out of the depths of hell, the lowest point it has ever been. And because he did that, and while it wasn't the flashiest hire of all time, while it, you know the national media made fun of it, I will always respect the hell out of Sam Pittman for his role in bringing this football program back to what people knew it, was, knew it was once or knew what it once was. I'll always have respect for him in that regard. And regardless of what happens this season, because I know that he's given his best effort. Yes, while he, he still has a lot of blame put on him, he brought our program back from a very, very dark and low point. I mean, at one point under Clown Morris, they had to earn their gear back. We had nothing up in the locker rooms. The players looked like they were in prison with their gray sweat just gray sweatshirts, gray sweatpants. They had to earn their practice gear. That's so damn stupid. But anyone saying that Sam Pitt, anyone that involves champ. Chad Morris and Sam Pittman in the same sentence in terms of how they are as coaches can go sit on a damn pine cone, go stub your toe, or hit your ankle on a damn razor scooter. I don't care because that's just a moronic statement. I'll always have respect for Sam Pittman and what he's done with this football program and how loyal he's been to it through the years. And like I mentioned earlier as well, I I think even if Pittman saves the season, Next year will be his last year. If this year isn't his his last year, next year will be because he's ready to retire. I really think he's ready to retire, and you know it's crazy that the vast majority. This is just purse, you know, some reliable guys like Ryan Mallett, Scantron, twenty four seven. It seems like the vast majority of the football team is still behind St. Pittman because he's earned that right. He has, he's helped win this team over and win over the fan base, but Dan Enos and Kennedy. Seems that they've lost everyone, and we're only three games into this daggum season. As for the offensive line issues, I think we got weight issues. Obviously, we got guys that are injured. Devon Manuel wakes up with an injury. Now he's got a stinger. You know, it's not something you can just be like, "All right, we got to go fix." But you know, play through your injury, suck it up. I don't know, do something because he's one of the best tackles we got. Andrew Chambley isn't playing that bad. I just think he's got to put on weight. Marion Harris has got to put on weight. But, but, you know, losing a guy like Ricky Stromberg, who led by example and was as mobile as he was, and you know, he led by example. He was a vocal leader. He had a lot of experience. Losing a guy like him sucks because he really got the other guys to rally behind him. And I don't know if we have that guy in the offensive line room right now. Bo is a phenomenal right guard. According to Pro Football Focus, he's the eighth best guard in the country right now. But there's one thing that we all know, and it's that he's a god-awful communicator. He shouldn't and can't be at center. You have to be a great communicator, and Ricky Stromberg was a phenomenal communicator. Blitz checks, line shifts, all those other things. A center, it's like another quarterback out there. It's a quarterback of the offensive line. It's got to be your smartest offensive lineman. And right now, Bo Wimmer is not that. Yeah, you know it's great he can squat seven hundred pounds. I don't give a rip. He's got to be a better communicator and a better leader on that offensive line. And Brady Latham, you know, Bo Wimmer and Brady Latham, multi-year starters. Those dudes got to figure it out. Quit holding. you know the fall starts got to got to stop. It's not going to get any easier on Saturday either with that pass rush LSU is going to bring and the atmosphere that'll come with it. But, yeah, I mean, that's with regards to Pittman on the hot seat. There's going to be some mailbag questions about it. I'll get to it in a second. But what ha- what has to happen on Saturday is that throughout this this gauntlet of a four-game stretch we have over the next month, we have to go in two and two. And I know that sounds extremely undoable right now. It sounds like a, it would take a miracle for that to happen because I feel that right now saying that. feels like there's no way that can happen but it's got to happen no matter what. If you want to salvage this season, you go two and two. You win a game at LSU and at Oxford, and you know you lose to A&M and Bama or just – I don't care what two games you win out of the next four. You win two, you've saved your season. You win those two games, you give yourself hope and you give yourself a chance to still make a solid bowl game, maybe win eight games, and Pittman isn't on the hot seat anymore. If we go two and two – Pittman seat definitely gets a lot cooler. And you really have a chance of going to a solid bowl game, you know, keeping recruits, keeping guys from not letting go of the rope and things like that because I don't want to letting go of the rope moment. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, that is a reference from the Chad Morris era in that the players have just let go of the rope, meaning they've given up on the coach, they've given up on the season, and that's sad. I don't ever want to see that happen. But if shit goes south on Saturday, it very well could happen. But this week's a new week. It's another opportunity to prove to ourselves that we aren't out of this thing just yet. And Saturday night, we have to be as mentally prepared as we have been all year because we are currently staring adversity in the face. Winning doesn't define who you are. What defines who you are as a football team is how you respond to adversity. How you how you respond when you're supposed to be 3 and 0 but you're 2 and 1. How you respond when it's 4th and short. How you respond when a team takes a 38 to 31 lead on you at your place. That's who define or that's how you define what you are. And especially as a football team and we have a chance to really prove a lot to ourselves on Saturday night. Are the lights. These lights get bright for a lot of people. And unfortunately for Arkansas, they've gotten way too bright for us at times, but they just got to find it within themselves to almost prove themselves wrong. And that just because this is at LSU doesn't mean it's an L. Just because it's a night game or, you know. Just because we had a bad loss the week before doesn't mean the next week's automatically going to be an L. Go out and prove some shit to yourselves. Prove some shit to us as a fan that we can still believe in this football team. We can still believe in the football program. Offensively, God, we we have to do something to help out the offensive line because BYU out-bull rushed us. They stunted us and they twisted us. And if they do that to us and gave us hell with only bringing four people, then we're in for a rude awakening. When LSU brings the type of pressure they're about to bring on Saturday night, a couple things we can do to help out our offensive line. Keep your running backs in the block, and one of them better not be Rashad Dominion because the strip sack that KJ Jefferson gave up was his fault. Rashad's fault. Yes, KJ let go of the football, but Rashad whipped out a block, and that got a free run at KJ. <clears throat> you keep Dominic Johnson in the block. he'll give Isaiah Augustave a chance to go hit somebody. You know, he might, as young as he is, he might not be able to see a hole. He might not hold on to football as well as he needs to, being as early as he is in, in his career. But there's one thing I bet the guy can do, and I bet he can hit someone, and I bet he can get in the way and at least slow down a defender from having a free run at our quarterback's backside. Another thing we can do, keep the tight end in the block, run 12 personnel, get KJ out of the pocket, use some play action, roll out, and just get him away from the initial pass rush because I know that there, there's – one guy Arkansas fans can remember that gave us hell. That gave us hell last year. His name's Harold Perkins, and he's back this year. They haven't found a good use for him thus far, but I guarantee they found it out Saturday. They know KJ can run the football, so I bet they're going to spy him, and KJ can't outrun Harold Perkins. I can tell you that much right now. I was looking at some stats on the Internet, and – it seems that KJ spends more time in the pocket than any other SC quarterback this year, but it's still less time than last year. But his throws, where he has the ball for less than two and a half seconds, he completes only nine. Or he completes ninety percent of those throws, which is amazing. So what this means is that Danny knows got a game plan better. Game plan better. Take something out of BYU's offensive coordinator's playbook. That dude knew, knew how to drop some plays. He really did. My ha- you know, th- That was the most impressive part of BYU's football team was their play designs, their formations, and their offensive coordinator. Dropped some plays, dropped some routes, that expose LSU's defense, similar to how BYU did to us. And with those new play designs, Cage has got to get the ball out quick. Two reads tops. Get it out quick because, like we talked about, 90% of those throws he makes when he has the ball less than two and a half seconds, he completes. As for the wide receivers, cannot have drops. Thirteen can't be the ball game. I don't want seventeen of the ball game. Have your most sure handed guys out there and a most and your most electric receivers out there the whole game. That means you have Isaac Tesla out there, Andrew Armstrong, Isaiah Satania, and Luke Hoss. Those are the four guys that should be getting the ball through the air. Outside of a running back. But LSU secondary really isn't that great. Greg Brooks is out. He didn't play against Mississippi State. He's out indefinitely, so he's definitely not playing against Arkansas. (laughs) But LSU secondary is their weak point. That's why they're going to blitz as much as they can to take as much pressure off that secondary as possible, which is what I would want for Arkansas to do more, and I hope we do on Saturday, which is what we'll get to in a second. We have to cut out the turnovers. We have to limit the penalties. Control the time possession. Keep LSU off the field. And we need KJ to rise to the occasion Saturday. I know how we talked about how the lights get bright for some players, but it really seemed like K.J. Jefferson doesn't get overwhelmed by any moment. But he has a chance to do something that many Arkansas starters haven't ever done before outside of getting revenge for last year since he didn't get to play and we only lost by three. If he would have played against LSU last year, we definitely would have won. But if he wins this Saturday night in LSU – Having an undefeated record at LSU as an Arkansas starting quarterback, I don't think anyone's ever done. Talk about legacy right there. Be LSU's kryptonite, KJ. That's all we need. Keep getting Luke involved. The dude's a stud. And he can definitely be used in the play-action game because he has the ability to make more than one guy miss, whether he runs him over or makes him miss. So... Keep getting him involved. As for defense, <clears throat> a couple things to be concerned about with LSU's roster. We all know Jaden Daniels. Guy can really put a heart in on teams the way he runs the football. But we need to take a page out of the book of Florida State because and follow that shit to a T because they play Jaden Daniels exactly how you're supposed to. Have a spy on him, bring pressure on him, and make him make throws. Because he looked like a pretty mediocre quarterback in that game. He really did. We have nothing to lose. Bring the pressure. Like I said, put a spy on him, make him make mistakes, and hopefully we can force some turnovers out of him because we're gonna need we're gonna need to force turnovers to have a chance on Saturday night. Keep the crowd out of it, keep the momentum low. If we can force turnovers, hopefully our offense can keep their offense off the field. Controlled time possession that'll ultimately give us the best chance to win. Jaden Daniels also can't make tough throws, and if we can force him into being a one-dimensional quarterback on Saturday night, then our defense is going to give us a chance to win or at least keep us in the ball game. But as for LSU, just some stats: Jaden Daniels is for nine hundred seventy-six yards on the season, completed seventy-four percent of his passes, eight touchdowns to one pick. He's been sacked seven times. He's also their leading rusher at 157 yards rushing. Well, right under him is Logan Diggs at hundred fifty six at 156 yards rushing on the season. They have three guys who have ran for two or more touchdowns this season. So they they go running back. Yeah, they have a deep running back committee they like to use along with Jay Nanos being able to run the football. So that's where they pride themselves on is running the football. Their top receiver is Malik Neighbors. He has 393 yards receiving on the season, and I think he had two hundred and eighty-six of those yards against Mississippi State this past weekend. So take that out of the equation. And he's hardly over a hundred yards, I believe, receiving on the season. But regardless, dude had a big game against Mississippi State. Him and Brian Thomas Jr. are going to be the best receivers. Between the two, they have between the two they have almost seven hundred yards receiving and six touchdowns. Malik's caught 24 passes on the season. Brian's caught 20. Average catch for Malik is 16.5. Average catch for Brian is 14. So those are the two guys you are looking to get the ball to. It's going to be a big test for Nudie, going to be a big test for Jaheim, Jalen Braxton, whoever else we got out there. But as long as our front seven can find a way back there, doesn't matter how deep a route they can run or how open they can get the ball has to be out quicker than they can probably make a break on the route and we can really sit down on short routes and just have safety help over the top in case something bad happens but my score prediction for the game I think it's 27-17 LSU I chalked this game up as an L initially I think LSU scores late to pull away and I hope I'm wrong but who knows regardless keep the game close on Saturday just for the momentum sake of the season or get the W, and then we'll all forget about that BYU game on Saturday. All righty, last segment of the show to cap off the show. Got the mailbag. This is fun this week. Figured out it would be. When am I going to pay up? Uh, The bet's voided because Roger didn't get – get to play. We all talked about that. Top five coaching candidates. I'll probably do a deep dive on this later on in the season, depending on what the hell happens. But a guy that comes to mind right now, obviously everyone's going to be like, oh, hire prime. It No. Prime's going to be too hard to get. But if for some reason it was the end of the season now and we were to go after coaches, I would go after Mike Elko, Duke's coach, I would go after a coordinator of an Alabama. I would go after a coordinator of a Georgia, a Texas, or just a big school or something like that. Try to get a big-name coordinator or get into a bidding war with the school for their head coach. But Mike Elko's first name comes to mind for me. But I would have to do a deeper dive later on that. Anything positive at all to take away from the BYU game? Um, no, not really. I mean, Coss was positive. Um, what else? Landon Jackson stepped up and played well, probably the best game he's had as a hog. The way, I mean, one positive thing that happened on the last drive is that when we went vertical in tempo, we moved the ball down the field pretty damn quick. Why don't we do that more? I know they were probably sitting back in deep zone to not get beat over the top, but still, in terms of positivity to take away from the game, there's just not much of it for me, honestly. Just a lot has to happen, and I know I'm thinking more negatively right now than I probably should, but it's hard to be behind the Hogs right now. It really is. I know we're 2-1, and one, but still, can't lose the game how we did on Saturday, as frustrating as it is. It's almost exhausting to think about and talk about still, but is Texas back... Damn it. I don't know. We'll see how they finish the season. But beating Bama, that's beating Bama at their place. That's a very, very, very impressive win. Very impressive win. So, unless Texas, depending on how they finish the year, I'd say they're probably going to win the Big 12 pretty easily. They go to the playoff. Maybe they're back. But who knows? That's the biggest rivalry in sports between Texas and Bat and being back. So, are we ass or are the Mormons good? I think it's a combination of both. We all know the offensive line is straight booty cheeks. I don't think BYU is that good of a football team, but they are a very, very well-coached football team, and they don't make many mistakes. They really don't. They didn't have any penalties, really. They didn't turn the ball over. I think turned it over one time, but that is a team that is well-coached. They do their job, and because they do that, they're going to stay in a lot of games. I mean, I hate that Pittman makes the excuse we got out-coached, but he's not wrong. They they flat-out out-coached us on Saturday. They out-executed us, out-coached us, out-everything. How hot is the seat for Sam? We talked about it a little bit earlier. I don't think it's that hot right now, but it could get very hot very quick if things don't change from Saturday night. What has, what has to happen to fire Pittman? even though i think he would retire what has to happen is that if we miss a bowl game completely he's gone if if we yeah if we miss a bowl game he's gone i think that's the criteria if we go 6 and 6 maybe he still gets fired if we go 6 and 6 and lose the bowl game i think he's gone we go 7 if we go 7 and 5 he loses the bowl game i think that is a topic for discussion but if we miss a bowl game, yeah, Pittman will not be our coach next year for sure. The record prediction I have now, oh, Lord. Um, the only for sure – actually, you know what? I'm not going to take any. – I'm not going to count anyone for granted. There's one game we're winning the west, rest of the year for sure, and it's Ford International. Other than that, every game's a toss-up. We could go freaking one in one seven to finish the year. Or one and one and eight to finish the year. I don't think that'll happen. But I just want to get to a bowl game at this point. That's that's the minimum criteria for me. Get to a bowl game. I don't care how you do it, just freaking get there. Why does Pittman deserve more time? I don't know if he deserves more time because of his age and I think just the wear and tear of the job. I think he's ready to hang it up. He's been coaching for 30, 40 years he's done. He's burned out. He's not gonna be like that old ass coach from Kansas State anymore who stuck around a lot longer than he probably should have and damn near died on the field. But if Pittman wins Saturday night, he deserves more time. I mean, it's technically a rivalry game on Saturday night. But I think he I think his his I think he can see the hor or the sunset, you know to write off into it's coming up either this year or next year because SEC is not going to get any easier. Recruiting is getting harder. He's getting older. The wear and tear on a coach nowadays is harder than it's ever been before with having to re-recruit your own roster with the transfer portal, recruit guys out of the portal, still keep a tab on high school kids, and then you know look for guys in the future, look for coaching changes, deal with raises, and that's outside of just coaching a football team. That is a managing – that's a that's a managing part of the job. So I'm not sure, but that wraps up this week's episode. Uh, views from the Hill, I don't know what to expect. I really don't. I just want Saturday – I just want us to come out and fight hard Saturday. Fight hard, get a W if you don't get the W, go out swinging. Hell, if we win. God, I don't know. I don't know what to think at this point, but I guess we'll all find out Saturday night at 630 in Death Valley. Can the raise bets get it done? I don't have those answers, but I guess we'll find out.